Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host for the VC 10X podcast and today we have Zain Latif with us. Zain is the founder of TLG Capital, making high-impact private credit investments in African businesses. In this episode, we talk about what is venture debt, startup ecosystem in sub-Saharan Africa, how is venture debt different from venture capital problems faced by African founders and a lot more. So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Zion, so good to have you on the VC10X podcast. How are you doing? Uh, it's good to be here, Prashant. Thanks for, for inviting me. Yeah, pleasure hosting you. Uh, so to kick things off, uh, can we first have your story and how you started investing? So my background has been in banking. I, I started my career um, back in, in investment banks up in New York and London, uh, working for uh, Goldman Sachs, HSBC, and Merrill Lynch, um, and started TLG about a decade ago, just about now. Uh, focusing on the uh, SME sector, the small medium enterprise sector in sub-Saharan Africa, and we've been uh, we've been doing that uh, now for nearly ten years. Uh, it's been a long time, um, and over that time, we've done thirty plus deals, we've made twenty plus exits. So it's uh, incremental steps. Absolutely, that's very exciting. Uh, can you can you give us all an insight into uh, how does the ecosystem look like in sub-Saharan Africa? So I think um, it's a very complex question. Uh, it should be a simple question, but it is actually quite layered because obviously you have 50 plus countries in the region. You've got different legal frameworks um, and you've got to tie all that around uh, with the fact that unlike India or China, at least you're dealing with one country, one framework. Um, whereas in Africa, when you go to Nigeria or Kenya or Uganda or Rwanda or Ghana, there's an added layer of complexity on, in those markets. I think the first thing to bear in mind is that these are very nascent markets uh, relative to the rest of the world, even emerging markets. Um, I would argue that these are frontier markets. So they have an element of risk beyond that which you just see in emerging markets. And that's just due to the fact that capital flows into these, into these regions are so limited. Um, so when you think about currency, when you think about even the stock market, um, in places like Uganda, Rwanda, and Ghana, they just are not at the level where you need them to be in order to have a functioning private equity mindset. Um, so I think all those factors, a combination of currency, the combination of capital markets in its nascency, um, inflation, um, not well capitalized banks, right? So I think that's a, that's a key issue here as well. They all lead to making it a very complex region for, for investing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, since you're investing in uh, SMEs, so uh, what kind of companies are these exactly? Are these like local businesses or are these like startups? So can you give us an insight into that? Sure. I think so. We're more uh, dictated by, I think, three core areas and sectors that we focus on. It would be financial services, financials rather, um, healthcare and uh, consumer. So consumer driven industries, we shy away or don't do anything mining related or oil and gas related. I think the extractive industries is where we stay away from. Um, so we're more sector focused than region focused or uh, size focused, if, if that makes sense. Um, and and in terms of the ecosystem and, and where, where the companies are in their life cycle, we have a fairly wide remit. So we can start looking at companies that are in early stage and we can also look at late stage companies. 
um, but we don't do venture capital. So I think that's a, that's a critical point to make. I think if you asked us what TLG is known for, what TLG does on, on a relatively strong basis is private credit. So our whole approach to investing is how do we not lose money? I think that's the critical aspect of, of what we do, especially as we're a dollar-denominated fund. So everything we do needs to be in the guise of if we're putting a U.S. dollar deal down, how do we get our money back in U.S. dollars? And that, I think, uh, drives our investment thesis and our and our discipline. Yeah, that's a very interesting model and quite different from the ones that we, have, uh, we mostly see on this podcast here because since it's a venture capital podcast, I believe that uh, you are the key difference is that you're not taking equity in these businesses. Instead, it's it's a debt that you're giving to them and they have to pay pay back that debt over a period of time. That's how it's structured, right? You know, the way we look at things is, is sort of thinking from a blended finance solution structure, right? So let's think about things with a debt mindset to make sure we get back our principal, but there's no reason why you can't structure your coupon or your return as an equity kicker. So that allows you to participate in the equity upside so if the company does well, you're able to do well. If the company doesn't do well, then you know you sort of at least being you're able to get your principal back. Um, so I think that's how we've, we've approached the market. In places like India and in places that are more developed in their ecosystems, um, you're going to find that you know doing deals like that are more difficult, just because of the plethora of capital and options available to entrepreneurs and VC players. But in Africa, it's quite limited. Venture debt is still a very new term in this market. Um, and, you know, we had what $5 billion of venture capital financing in Africa in 2022. It's still higher than what it was a year before, $4.6 billion. But again, these numbers are minimal compared to what the rest of the world is doing. So even though they've increased, it's coming off such a low base um, that, you know, so, so when you think venture capital is that small, you can think venture debt is even smaller. And so that's sort of the area that we're trying to play in. But because of the fact that we don't have much competition, we're sort of niche in our space, you're able to create structures that are a little bit more favorable to investors that allow you to also participate when things go well. Right, absolutely. And this is very interesting. And I would like to uh, contrast these two, the venture capital and venture debt. Uh, are you also sort of... Uh investing in the same kind of companies like uh, VCs are mostly investing in startups up until series A. So uh, do you also target that segment as well uh, or not? For sure. I think it's it's all deal specific. So one of the things we're trying to do here is make it more formulaic, if that's the right word. Um, so we like to get in bed early with a company so we can understand their financial discipline. We can understand their reporting, their dashboards. Because if you don't have those metrics in place, then you have to fundamentally ask yourself is how are you going to raise capital going forward? So to us, it's very important that getting in early, seeing how they operate, even if it's a smaller check size, but then you graduate up with your check size as you see them perform. Uh, most of these companies, they need to raise every 12 to 18 months. So every 12 to 18 months is what I would call a healthcare trigger warning. So if you're not able to raise capital in 12 to 18 months from either existing investors or new investors, you don't want to be left in the company. So most of our investments and the way we do things in the venture space will be tied to these metrics. Um, because if you're doing what you say you're doing and you're doing well and everything's going according to plan, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to hit your series targets. Right, absolutely. And 
uh, let's take it from the founder perspective. You you have said that this is more investor friendly, which it is pretty evident. Uh, but let's say there is a founder uh, who wants to raise capital for their own company, and they have these two options because we see is pretty much available from the very early stages. And so let's say they are contrasting the two options. Uh, should I go for VC or should I go for venture debt? Then what would be your arguments in favor of venture debt? So I don't think we, we don't, um, let's put it this way, we're complementary to venture equity. Um, so typically our venture debt comes with venture equity. And by definition, venture debt is always going to be cheaper than venture equity. So if you really believe in your business and you think you're going to get a 10x valuation in the next round, um, we will always be cheaper than that. Um, otherwise, no founder would ever talk to us. But I think our structures basically say, if you really believe in your business and you're really telling me you, you think it's worth X, Y, and Z, then our structure should be, you should be doing it all day long. Because if you can reduce the amount of equity you're taking now and dilute yourself less, why not wait for a year or two and use our capital to get there? And typically, our capital will cost between anywhere between 13 and 20%, right? So think of it in, in those ranges. Um, even if you get your equity warrants, you might say, okay, instead of me taking, say, 13% coupon, for example, you could say, I'll, I'll take that 13% coupon as an equity kick, as an equity check in the next round, right? So you are playing with a much smaller amount, but if you're giving $5 million and you're getting half a million dollar in interest, for example, every year, you take that half a million dollar of interest and you put it in their next series. So that way you you get the equity kicker and upside. But the model that we have is that if we get the $5 million back, you basically are left with a stake in the company for providing the debt financing when they needed it, but you use that $5 million for something else. So our whole bet is if investors take or investments take five, six, seven, eight years to actually come through with their numbers, right? We're simply saying the time doesn't matter to us because we've already got our capital out. So you can use the same capital for other investments. And that's sort of the you know sort of pitch we play with investors that look, you might not get on 5 million 20x, right? But if you use that 5 million for 10 other businesses in the life cycle, you sort of have 20 times the opportunity to be successful. Um, so spreading your eggs instead of having it all in one basket. Right, absolutely. And uh, look, looking at it from the investor perspective now, uh, since you are saying that this is much more secure way to invest your capital, then uh, since you're also targeting some early stage companies and in early stage companies, there is always this risk involved that uh, at least in startups, most of them will actually not succeed, right? So how are you minimizing that risk uh, in that area? So, okay, obviously we're not doing pre-seed rounds, right? So typically you'll have three to five million that's been raised or has to have been raised in that in that vicinity. We'll then start with 10% or 10 to 20% off that raise. Every six to 12 months, we then renew or not renew. Um, the truth is that if you've raised $5 million and you've borrowed half a million, for example, or a million, and in six months you don't pay back, it's very, very unlikely because the moment you do that, nobody else is going to fund you for your next round, right? So there's a huge amount of, of folks that are like, well, listen, we've just raised our pre-seed or seed round or 5 million, 6 million. We, if you want to su succeed at the next one or get an extension from our existing shareholders, 
no one's going to talk to us if we have a dispute with the only debt provider. Now, where we are lucky in a sense, Prashant, is that we are quite unique and the only players in our space in Africa, right? So we're not, we don't have the plethora of competition that exists in other places. Um, and that's why it sort of works, I think. But bear in mind, this is not the the opportunities we do every day, right? So I would say 30%, 20 to 30% of our time is spent on these type of opportunities. 70% is on more conventional, much larger deals where we do 5 to $15 million uh, ticket sizes. Um, and it not just in the venture space, but more on the growth equity space. Right, absolutely. Understood. Uh, and uh, I saw on your website that uh, you are investing via multiple different types of funds. Uh, there is one Africa Gro Growth Fund, and I believe you recently launched a fund in partnership with another fund. So I want to understand how all these different funds are different from each other and how they operate. So we have obviously a fund in our, our, our flagship fund, which is the Africa Growth Impact Fund, which basically invests across, uh, across the continent. Um, one of the Nordic uh, DFIs is our largest LP. And... Um, then we have a Tunisia fund, which is Tunisia-specific, which is, again, sponsored by the government of Tunisia um, and four or five local financial institutions. Uh, we have another bucket that does a little bit more esoteric risks, but effectively, we have three four buckets that can invest, each with its own mandate, each with its own focus area. Um, so that keeps us quite active. It keeps us um, focused. And it just depends on where the opportunity comes from, right? So if it's a Tunisia, it will go in the Tunisia bucket. If it's dollar, it goes in the dollar bucket. Um, we're also doing a fund in Nigeria. So one of the things we're trying to complement is taking local funds that can provide local currency financing layered with our dollar financing as well. So that's what we're doing. Got it. Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, but one more thing, again, I read on your website that uh, your what you are doing at TLG Capital is very much aligned uh, with uh, the UN Sustainable Development Goals as well. So, can you th throw some more light on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think when so impact is a very complicated uh, term, right? I think everyone talks about it. It's a big, big term. But to me, impact needs to be it's it's how you do your investments. Um, so, by choosing to not do mining and choosing not to do extractives. We're focusing, if you think about what TLD does at its most base level, and regardless of impact or not, the whole thesis of TLG was that you want to align yourself with the rising aspirational middle class of Africa, right? That's the bottom line. And when you're then providing the products that these folks will need as they have become wealthier, as they become more prosperous, it's investing in those businesses that's going to service this this incredible growth spurt that's coming coming to bear and you know you look at India you look at China and what they've done in in generations in just one generation to transform themselves into uh, this incredible middle class that's now uh, changing society is what we hope to see in Africa and so to me that's that's incredible impact right whether the UN, we don't get up every morning and think, let's figure out what the United Nations wants to do and we're going to try and ape that. It's let's do what we think we want to do. What's our definition of impact? Yes, it corresponds a lot with the UN and their development goals, but that's because 
our thesis is simple. What's the uh, what's the aspirational middle class in, in Africa? What do they want? And that's what we're going to invest in. Right. Got it. And uh, one more aspect I want to uh, check on is, uh, are you also uh, helping these companies succeed once you have made the investment or once you have given, given the debt? Uh, because in venture capital, it's like you're also adding value to the company and int- introducing them to people and trying to make them successful because that is what your investment is dependent on. So do you do something similar here? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I think the, the, the critical aspect here, which I think, remember, most of our investments will be debt plus some form of equity. So the way we see the debt is, look, this is what you get back in the case things don't go according to plan. But for things to go according to plan, you need to be able to be involved. And if you want your equity kickers, warrants, options to actually bear fruit, you've got to help the company also in strategic initiatives, making sure they go where they need to go, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what we try to do um, is with every investment that we've done, we sort of sit down with the company management. We sort of say, here's your 100-day plan. This is what we want you to implement. This is what we think will be good for the business. A lot of it relates to governance. A lot of that relates to reporting. Um, But look, you can only do as much as you can. And the challenge is that when you're sitting in London or sitting anywhere for that matter, and trying to manage investments in 54 different African countries, um, you're not going to be everywhere. You recognize that ultimately, especially with SMEs, particularly with SMEs, they have their own ways of doing things. Um, They'll say whatever you want them to say before they get the money. And when they get the money, it becomes a completely different story. Um, And some of them, and some of them are fantastic because our best investments are entrepreneurs we can continue to back. Right. Once you get a successful investment done, you want to go back to the guy, right? Because you know how they work. They listen to you. There's respect. Um, so, our definition of success is when we get out, but also when we reinvest or do something else with with um, with the company. So, I hope that that sort of answers your question. Yeah, sure does. Uh, so now, uh, talking about uh, the problems that uh, the African founders or these business owners face that are not sort of typical in more developed economies because Africa is sort of at that very early stage of their own ecosystem. And some of the things like you mentioned that uh, debt is not easily available and there are not so many resources there. So can you highlight some some of those problems that uh, African founders uh, have to tackle? So I think the, um, so it's a very good question. I think, look, it's, it's again a very layered question People will talk about corruption and people will talk about government and so on and so forth. And I think when you look at the success of China and India and sort of the growth markets in Taiwan or Korea, um, I would argue that corruption and government is less important than leveraging the private sector. Um, So I think what India has done extraordinarily well has been able to leverage its private sector to grow in spite of any government uh, interference, right? Um, and you look at Africa, I think that's where we need to focus on, which is trying to create that that spirit that allows the private sector to create the solutions that the the um, the middle class and the aspirational class are looking for. Um, I think tech-enabled solutions is going to help transform societies in these in these places where bricks and mortar are no longer the answer to a problem. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you have mobile phone penetration, mobile phone usage in Africa to be very, very high. So you, you, the the business models 
that you'll need to succeed in Africa are going to be very different to the business models that succeeded in, so say, the Asian tigers that you know happened over the last generation or so, last couple of generations. So we don't have the solution today. We don't know what exactly it's going to look like. That's why so many people are excited about venture capital in Africa. But because it's never been done, we're going to sort of stumble our way through uh, until we find the models that actually work. Um, but when you add to that, you sort of think to yourself, human talent, right? So talent is quite important in these markets, but yeah, attracting that is, 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 is quite critical. The technical skill sets were some of these roles. Um, thinking about infrastructure. So infrastructure is one of the big areas I, I, I get very uh, frustrated by in, in Africa because whether it's roads, power, electricity, it's, it's lagging behind where it ought to be. So private sector can only work if the government puts basic constructs in place to speed that up. And um, I have a couple of colleagues that are just sort of uh, just spend some time in India and they come from India and they sort of every time they go, they're like, wow, this new airport's set up. And this has become the, the change that you see just by getting a proper airport in place, proper roads, getting from the airport to the city center. These are small things, but they can really drive investments into these countries. Right. Um, so I think you, you're starting from a very, very complex place when you're an entrepreneur in Africa. If you're successful, you know you can be successful anywhere in the world because of how difficult it is in the region. Um, and you're battling against hiring quality people. You're battling against bureaucracy that's unfortunately very slow. You're battling against currency devaluations and inflation and and just all the challenges that come from emerging markets times three, right? Um, so when you find the entrepreneurs who are able to navigate that and be successful, you hold on to them for dear life. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. It's it's definitely a difficult market to operate in, but I believe uh, all these markets that we see today were once a difficult market to operate in, but now they've come up. And I, I believe it'll be the same with Africa as well, just a matter of time, right? Prashad, they've been, they've been saying that for 20 years, but I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Understand, let's, let's be patient. Uh, okay. So now uh, moving on to the rapid fire round uh, where I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund uh, and you have to give five quick answers. Sounds good. Sure. Uh, so the first one goes, what are the sectors and regions you invest in? Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, English speaking mostly, and uh, financials, healthcare and consumer. Uh, what's the typical stage of investment? Typically three to $20 million per deal. Okay. So growth equity, I'd say. Okay. The definition in Africa is very different than the definition abroad. Right. Uh, you're talking in terms of dollars, right? Yes. Okay. And the typical check size? Yeah, that's 3 to $20 million. So growth okay. in the growth stage financing. Okay. And where can uh, founders pitch or business owner pitch is if there is a direct way to get in touch? Oh, they just come straight to us. They just come straight to, to TLG. We sort of see businesses all the time. We have a team that just looks at deals. That's what they do all day long. Great. Uh, and where can our listeners follow you? I guess LinkedIn. That's probably the, the medium I use the most. Um, I was a little bit older for the Twitter generation and the Instagram generation, but LinkedIn is what my preferred medium has always been. Great. And you're pretty good for Twitter as well. <laughs> I can say that. Uh, Twitter, I've sort of just, yeah, I just don't use it as much. Uh, I don't know why. Just never got into it. You got to get on. It's, it's an interesting place. All right. Thank you for coming on, Sain. And I loved all your insights into the African ecosystem and the concept of venture debt, which uh, many of our listeners, I believe, would not be familiar with. 
Thank you for coming on and happy investing. Thank you so much, Prashant. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care.